Welcome to the Parents at Work podcast, a podcast for the modern parent working in the modern world. Join us as we interview leading experts in their fields to unveil the secrets working parents need to succeed at work. Welcome to the Parents at Work podcast, a podcast for people who want to succeed and thrive at work while they have kids. The podcast is sponsored by the Spiegel Law Firm, where we empower women who have been unfairly fired or afraid that they might be. I am joined today by my co-host, Lori Mahalik-Levin. Lori is the founder, in addition to be an attorney as well, is the founder of Mindful Return. Hello, Lori. Hi, good morning, Tom. It's a pleasure to be here with you today. Absolutely. And I'll let you say a few words about your, your groundbreaking program, Mindful Return. Thanks, Tom. So Mindful Return is a program that helps new parents transition back to work after parental leave. And there's a version of the program for new moms, a version for new dads. And there are about 50 employers at this point that offer it as a parental leave benefit. Excellent. Well, we are, as you know, joined today by some really impressive panelists. And Lori, I'll let you introduce our guests. Great, Tom. And uh, it's a pleasure to be co-hosting this with you. We're really excited to have a conversation today with moms who are lawyers. And right now on the line, we've got two wonderful panelists. First of all, we have Anjali Patel, who is currently an antitrust associate in the Washington, D.C. office of Skadden Arps, where she represents clients across a variety of industries in connection with antitrust aspects of mergers and acquisitions and litigation. And she counsels clients on various antitrust issues, including compliance. I will note, however, that by the time this podcast actually goes live, Anjali will have transitioned to join Verizon's antitrust team in their in-house legal department. So we'll let Anjali talk about that as well. But she has two boys who are ages four and a half and almost two. So she is in the thick of the little people seen at home. Uh, we also have Katie Robinette, who is an associate in the Washington, D.C. office of Massey and Gale, and is also the mom of two small children. And I happen to know that she's also had experience both clerking while being a mom, clerking for a judge, that is, and also in working for the federal government while being a parent as well. So, Katie, maybe we'll start with you. And I would love if you could tell us a little bit more about your own personal working parent story. Sure, Lori. Thanks to you both for having me. When I went to law school, I was a bit older. I took a few years off in between to do other things. And I have to say, as my first job out of undergrad, I was a paralegal and was quite scared off from the law. <laughs> um, I worked with some great folks, but it didn't seem like the sort of career that was really conducive to being the kind of engaged parent that I wanted to be. So it took me a while to find myself back to law school, which is where I really, I, I ultimately knew I wanted to be. And by that point, I was pretty singularly focused on pursuing a government job. So I did a lot of government internships and uh, externships. I pursued my clerkship. And yet here I am in private practice. So um, it, it's sort of funny. Uh, you don't really know where your path is going to take you. I feel like for me, it's been a lot of trial and error, but feel really fortunate to have wound up where I am in a small, very family-friendly private practice atmosphere. Again, the, the, you know, the one thing I went into law school knowing, and, and I told everyone, I'm not going to go into private practice, but it, you know, you never know. Never say never, definitely. And remind us how old your kids are at this point, Katie? 
Yeah, so my daughter is uh, four and a half and my son is 15 months. Excellent. So very close to uh, the ages of Angelie's kids as well. Angelie, can you tell us a little bit about your personal working parent story? Sure. Hi, my name is Anjali Patel. Unlike Katie uh, just said, I went straight through from undergrad to law school. I went into law school kind of knowing I wanted to practice antitrust law and um, really kind of had that singular focus going through pretty much all of law school and then when I started as well. And so I have now been at Skadden for almost about 10 and a half years. And I went part-time after I had my first child. So I, I went down to, to about 80%. And I've been working at about 80% since then. And just recently, as 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 you noted, I uh, decided to take advantage of an opportunity that was offered to me to join Verizon's in-house antitrust legal team, which is, is really exciting. I think will be a, a lot of fun and will present some some fun challenges and differences compared to being in a private firm. Well, fascinating for both of you. Um, I wanted to jump in and ask you, Katie. It sounds like you specifically were thinking even before you went to law school about the impact your career choice would have on raising a family. Is that is that right? That's absolutely right. You know, I remember having an advisor in college. So I met my husband at the end of our senior year. We were both sort of thinking about what we would do after we graduated he was interested in medicine and I was sort of interested in law and academia. And I had a college professor say, you know, one of you is going to have to have a stable career and the other one, you know, interesting things, but it's going to be really hard for you if you want to have kids, if both of you are sort of all over the place, which was hard for a 21 year old to hear, but it was sort of always in the back of my mind. I always knew I wanted to have children, more than one. My mom was a working mom and she was really an inspiration to me. So I have always thought, I think sometimes maybe too much about the fact that I really wanted to have a career that was conducive to being the kind of parent that I wanted to be. And I think in some respects, actually, that kind of fear held me back from pursuing things that might not have been so bad in reality as I thought they might be in my head. But nevertheless, I, I really did think a lot about it. So I, you know, it was five years in between undergrad and law school before I finally committed to law school. It was only after a lot of discussions with women who've become mentors to me who have had lifelong careers in the law that I decided to go back to law school. And again, was really singularly focused on this public sector type career, thinking that that was going to be what was most sustainable for me. But that's absolutely right. I mean, it's really been in the front of my mind with every opportunity that I've pursued, even before I had kids, you know, what is going to make the most sense for me? You mentioned that you were working as a paralegal, and it sounds like you were thinking that you did not want to be a lawyer at that point. Is that right? Or that you were just rethinking the private practice of law? Yeah, no, I mean, you know, I didn't have a lot of perspective at that point about what the difference for paths in the law looked like. That was sort of the one data point of being a lawyer. And I worked with a lot of really smart, interesting people. And this is sort of before the crash and business was booming. People were very, very busy. Some people were really happy. Some people really weren't. And that definitely colored it for me. And then sort of over time, as I I left my paralegal job, I went and worked for a foreign policy think tank in Washington. And over time, slowly saw a lot of these really brilliant, awesome women I worked with at the law firm leave the law. 
And so that sort of even pushed me further away from pursuing law school. I thought, you know, why would I commit to the debt, you know, the three years of hard work that this is going to take when I see all of these really capable, smart women having children and leaving the workforce? And it wasn't, you know, most of the women I worked with, as a period over time, some, most of them left the law completely. It wasn't like they transitioned into other types of practices. They completely left and it's a different calculus for everyone, what, what works best for their family. But for me, I really only wanted to pursue the law if I was sort of convinced in my head that I could do it, that I could make a career out of it. And then what got you to that place? So what got me to that place was I actually pursued more of an academic path. I worked for a think tank for a few years. I applied to grad school again, thinking that I, I might apply to law school once I was in grad school and do like a joint degree, but sort of be on the more academic side of things. Once I was in grad school, I realized very quickly that that was not the path for me. I just was not well suited for academia. I was at UCLA at the time and I took a class that was cross-listed between philosophy and law. And we read a lot of legal articles and, you know, it just, I knew right away something I'd thought about for a long time. And at that point, I got really serious about talking to people and finding out, okay, if this, if I'm really interested in the law, what are the sorts of careers that would allow me to be a really engaged, you know, parent at home, but also have the work satisfaction that I want? And I spoke with some family friends and, you know, just sort of started networking, getting connected with folks. And I spoke with a woman who was a family friend of my in-laws who had a lifelong career at DOJ. You know, was there, raised three kids, had a working spouse. She rose to the, you know, the upper ranks of the civil service. Just a really, really smart woman. And she was very happy with her career and their choices. And she said, I think that that would be the best fit for you. You should really think about doing honors program, which is sort of the entry-level way of getting into DOJ. And so I started law school thinking I'm going to graduate and I'm going to applied to be an honors program attorney at the Department of Justice. And so if you had a 21-year-old Katie come to you today and ask you the same questions you were asking your advisor, what would you tell her? Yeah, you know, that's a great question. I think I would say, again, because I look back on, on my attitude then, and I sort of had these data points, and I was very black and white about things, and I was like, private practice bad, government good. I would encourage my 21-year-old self to be a little bit more nuanced and sort of key in, okay, what is it about, you know, private practice that I think is bad? And what is it that I think could be fixable about it? What is it about government that's good? And I'm sort of aware of some of these things. Like I think, you know, relatively stable hours and appreciation, you know, of folks wanting, having responsibilities and obligations outside the office. But those things can or cannot exist in all types of environments. And so that's a long way of saying I would try to encourage my younger self to be a little bit more nuanced about the opportunities that presented themselves to me. Got it. All right. Thanks, Katie. All right, Anjali, your turn. Same questions for you. What drew you to the law? It sounds like you had a pretty good idea early on what you wanted to do. And did becoming a mother play any role in that decision? Sure. Thanks. Thanks so much, Tom. Like I said earlier, I went into the legal field knowing I wanted to practice antitrust law. And so when I was looking you know, both at, at law schools and also at firms that I might want to go to, I, I had 
that, I think, primarily in mind, that I wanted to practice antitrust law. I wanted to be an antitrust lawyer. And when I was looking at a new pretty early on that I wanted to go to a law firm. I think for me, that was kind of just where I think I thought I would get the best training and the best experience and the best opportunities to really practice and work on some interesting cases. And so with that in mind, when I was looking at firms, I did to some extent look at you know the parental policies and the flexibility policies because I knew in the back of my mind that I wanted to have a family. Actually, I met my husband in college also. We, we started dating, gosh, my second year of, of college, so pretty early on. And, you know, likewise, um, you actually, he went to medical school, I went to law school, and we both settled in this area since, since I'm practicing antitrust. And, um, you know, we, we knew early on that we wanted to have a family and wanted to have kids. So I was looking at firms that I thought would have some flexibility, you have great work opportunities, but also have some very good benefits. And I was really impressed with what Scadden offered and said and was able to, to do. So then for me, it was a little bit different because when I got into practice, I really wanted to establish kind of a base in my career. And so I think I probably had, let's see, I must have been maybe a sixth year associate when I had my first son. And so I think that was really helpful because I'd gotten a really solid base and a, a really great training and, and developed, I think, a good relationship with folks at the firm here. And I think that made it a lot easier to go on leave and come back and jump right back into cases and also you know, have some of the flexibility that might be needed as you're starting to work. But you know, for me, for a very long time, and you know, up until very recently, I hadn't really considered anything else besides working at a firm. I think this opportunity to join Verizon's antitrust team came up and it was just, it's such a fantastic opportunity that I couldn't, could not look into it. And so that's how I ended up where, with the, the switch that I'm making. But for me, it was very much finding a, a firm that both offered fantastic work and also had some really great parental policies and really followed through on those. And I think one thing I'd add to that is when I was looking at firms, obviously I spoke with people on the substantive side and, and met with people on the editor's team, but I did ask some very interesting questions and pointed questions on what they saw as their family leave policies and work-life balance. You know, being at a firm is obviously a fair amount of work no matter what firm you go to, but to me, it was really important that a firm really committed to what they said and really stood behind the policies that they offered. So that played a big decision in where I decided to go as well. Did you get any, um, I think those are great questions to ask, you know, when folks are interviewing around, did you get, obviously it didn't, didn't affect SCAD at all that you asked those questions, but did you get any pushback or any negative vibes from folks, for lack of a better word, when you were asking those questions? I really didn't. I think it's something that a lot of people, and now having been on the firm side of it and being involved in, in recruiting and those types of activities, you know, I think it's something that people anticipate and, and expect people to ask because it is important. It's important to know what you're going into. You know, obviously people can make career changes and you can move around, but you know, it's a question and it's a value that I think people really are taking to heart. And I think that I didn't really get much pushback. Now, I will say this was also before the recession. So this was probably 2006, 2007 timeframe. So I don't know that it, whether it changed or not much after that, but 
in recent years, from what I've seen from the firm side and, and certainly what I experienced having gone through that process, I really didn't. I think people anticipated that question and they expected it. In some cases, it was actually something that they proactively brought up and almost promoted or advanced and saying, you know, this is a really great thing. Oh, yeah, so that's great to hear. I remember my one of the early at a law school when I was at a firm uh, with a partner there, and he was a great guy and otherwise very progressive, but he was openly, I mean, he would ask in interviews of new young associates, you know, what they thought of work-life balance, and if they said something other than, I want to work really hard, and I don't think there's such a thing, he was skeptical of, of making them an offer, so I'm glad to hear you had a different experience. All right, thanks, Anthony. Lori, I will pass the baton to you. Yeah, that's great. I also just want to you know, raise the point about how I hope the same type of commentary and discussion happens with the young male associates, too, if we're going to normalize, you know, the taking of leave and parenthood and being engaged in parenthood, then I'm not asking a question about what, you know, how men and women are treated, but I hope the same types of promotion and, and questions come up in both contexts. But my questions, I'm going to stick with you, Angela, just for a moment, are really around the macro and the micro perspectives on what it's like to be a mom in the legal industry these days. If you had to step back and say, you know, make a couple of generalizations about, if possible, about what it's like to be a working mom and be a lawyer. I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. And then for you, what has it like, been like personally to be a mom and a practicing attorney? Sure. Yeah, those are really good questions. I think Maybe I'll start with the personal aspect if it's a little bit easier there first, if you don't mind. But, you know, I think for me, being one thing, being a mom and being a lawyer has been able to provide me with so much perspective on both ends. So I think, especially having since become a mom, I'm just a more efficient and more effective. And I think, surprisingly, so I think a more productive lawyer just because. I think you learn to prioritize and really focus on what's important and just get things done. And I think that's something that I've, I tried to employ as much as possible, certainly before I had kids, but definitely after, <laughs> because, you know, every time that's wasted or every you admit that you're not doing something that needs to be done is that much time that you're not able to do something else that you might need to do or, or want to do. And that goes both ways. In terms of being a mom, I think working is so fantastic and so helpful for two reasons. One, I think it really gives me perspective on the time that I have with my family and with my kids. Because, you know, we spend the weekend, I'll be there with them for the weekend. And, you know, come Monday morning, I cannot wait to sit at my desk and have some coffee and just be, right? But I really appreciate kind of having that balance and being able to do those two things. Because, I miss them, you know, by the end of the day, I I miss them a lot and I I can't wait to get home and see them. But I love having that time away from them and, and being able to do what's really important to me, what I'm good at and what I like to do. And so that's for my personal benefit and for my sanity. And then also for my kids, I think, you know, having two young boys, I think it's really great for them to see that, you know, mommy is not just a mommy, she's a lawyer and they know that I am a lawyer and they know what I, well, my older one does, my younger one is, is not quite there yet, but he will. 
they know what I do and they know that I, you know, that I have to go to work and that I have responsibilities and that, you know, I, I do have to do sometimes do a conference call and they have to sit there and be quiet or try. And so, you know, I think it's really good for them to see that as well and see that, you know, I'm not, I'm contributing not only to the household, but to my development and to their development. I think it really goes both ways. So I think from a kind of taking all of that and then stepping back a macro perspective, I think that, you know, it's being a working parent, whether you're a, a working mom or a working dad, being a working parent is certainly not easy. And it is hard. And I think there are a lot of challenges that come with it, because there are certain things that you just have to handle or deal with that you might not have to if you aren't in that position. But I do think that people that, that do both and try really bring a really unique perspective and a certain type of efficiency to the work that I think is hard to replicate otherwise. But I also kind of want to just step back for a second, Lori, to what you said earlier about, you know, the men asking that question, because I think that's really important too. I think it's important to make sure it's not just a women's issue, but really a parent's issue. And I think that is is so key and it's so important for firms to affirm for any employment organization to really promote that and really make sure that people are aware of that because it's, it's not just moms. In this day and age, I think there are so many fathers that are that are working and involved with their families very much as well. And so I think that's a, a really important point. Thanks, Anjali. Yeah, so much of what you said resonated. I especially loved your focus here on the skills that parenthood gives us and the ways that it really makes us even better at our jobs than we were before we became a parent. That definitely was true in my case as well. Before we turn over to Katie, I also just wanted to tell a quick anecdote about, you know, being that role model for your kids. I think my son, I have two sons as well, and I think my kids perhaps have so many female lawyer role models that maybe a year ago, my oldest son said to me, mommy, are boys allowed to be lawyers when they grow up? <laughs> and it startled me a little bit to think of, you know, first of all, how far we've come that a boy would be asking that question. But it also startled me in the sense of I want my son to grow up thinking he can be anything too, right? <laughs> and so it was a moment for pause and laughter. But I love your responses. There are really great perspectives on motherhood, lawyering, and working. Uh, Katie, I'd ask you the same question, if you could zoom out and take a little bit of a macro perspective and talk about what you think it's like to be a mom in the legal industry and what it's been like for you to be a mom lawyer personally. Yeah, so I remember going on um, interviews during my 2L year, and I had a, an interview with a woman who was at firm and like Anjali, I was very forward about my questions, you know, tactfully, I thought, hopefully forward, but I noticed she had a lot of photos of children in her office and and I just sort of asked her in a personal way, how do you balance the demands of being a parent with the demands of being a lawyer? And she immediately burst into tears. I think she was having a really, really difficult day. And she said to me, there are days when I feel like a good attorney and there are days when I feel like a good mom and I don't ever feel like both on the same day. And and I don't think that was anything about the firm that she was with or the organization. I just, I think that it kind of captured the push and pull that, um, that parents feel in the workplace, particularly in such a demanding job as, as being a lawyer is. So... I was thinking about that um, and thinking about how I think and I hope that we're at a real inflection point in the legal industry 
when I was in law school, my class was slightly majority women. So we've certainly come a long way from the days of, you know, RBG being one of a handful of, of women in the law school class. And so I think that the industry is going to really have to contend with this in a way that they haven't fully in the past. And I'm a realist. I think there are some things about the industry that are very hard to change. I think we've been waiting, you know, for the death of the billable hour for a long time, and it's just not going to happen. So I think we have to stop pinning some of our hopes for change on things like that and start thinking more broadly about, you know, what are things that are preventing women from rising in the ranks? And can we do to sort of change our perspective about what success is and what it looks like and taking a longer view? Because that's something in my experience that I think has been really important for me is an appreciation from my colleagues that I'm at a point in my home life that is very demanding on me, but it is, you know, it's bookended. It's not going to be this way forever. At some point, my children are going to become increasingly more independent and one day they're going to leave. And so I think the workplaces that grasp that this is a point in a parent's life that is very demanding on them is really important for the industry and retaining some really talented folks. So yeah, on the macro level, I think that we're that we're entering a period where hopefully workplaces are getting more creative with how they think about things because it's not just the length of the maternity leave, it's not just these sort of like black and white policy things. It's really an appreciation for what a parent and a young child really needs to be able to succeed. So on the I guess the micro level, I think Lori, this is something that I've heard from you. My my kids are the most important thing, but they're not the only thing. So a lot of what Anjali was saying definitely resonates with me as well. I love being working mom. I really derive a lot of my identity from that. I love getting up and going to work and you know contributing something to my workplace and being part of the team here. And then I love going home and spending time with my kids. And there's this great RBG quote about how she felt like being a mother was so important for her and that I think each part of her life gave her respite from the other. And I feel very similarly. I feel like I'm able to be a more present, engaged mom because I'm able to go into the office and engage other parts of myself. And so, you know, it's not without difficulty. There are days when I definitely feel like I'm pulled in one direction to the detriment of the other. So I don't want to suggest that these are things that like really easily coexist at, at the same time. It's constantly a struggle and it's difficult. And I think what's made it easier for me is being in an environment where I feel like my colleagues really appreciate that and really support me. Great. I, I'm a huge fan of that RBG quote as well. And I really appreciated your point about employers sort of believing in their new parents for the long haul, right? It's seeing that this is a season of your life and knowing that it's going to make you better and stronger. And if they're accommodating and willing to work with you during this really tough phase, that you're going to be a very devoted and committed employee for a much longer period. Back to you, Tom. All right. Great. Thanks, Lori. I would point people to Lori's uh, writing, particularly your, some of your blog posts, you've written a number of good pieces about 
you know, the, you know, we often talk about the, I won't say downside, but it's hard to be a parent and be at work sometimes, particularly with the kids are really young, but you've written very persuasively about how it's a, employers should look at that as a benefit given the skills that you have to pick up during that time. It's often as a matter of survival. So I recommend folks check that out. And to, you know, for me, my kids now, my oldest is 13, my youngest is six. And I think it's a good point, Katie, you talked about this, that it is, it's a finite period. I mean, I look back at, you know, at the early days when there was diapers and sleep deprivation. Of course, there were wonderful parts about that too, but it was very physically demanding. And, you know, we just don't, I mean, I mean, our kids still have their moments, but we have, we, we sleep through the night. Most nights, our kids can get up and down the stairs by themselves. They can buckle themselves in. It That stage for good and bad passes and you get to a different spot with your children and, you know, there are errands and things to run and after school activities. But at least in my experience, not as much of the, the physical demands as you have with certainly with infants and the toddlers. Okay. Well, now I want to uh, turn to Anjali and we're going to get into some of the weeds here, some of the specifics of what it's like to be a working parent in our industry. And in particular, I'm going to, Anjali, I'm going to ask you all three of these at once so you can opine about it generally. (laughs) Three ways. When you came back from having your children to work, what supports in the workplace did you find that were particularly effective? Were there any that you thought were going to be important that turned out not to be important? And then what, would, what do you think our industry are, you know, needs to do better for parents coming back into the workforce today? Does sure. that make sense? Yes, I think so. I may ask you to repeat the... Um... Yeah, that's fine. I may have lumped too many in there. <laughs> I can start with the first in terms of what supports were important to me when I was coming back. So when I came back from my maternity leave with my first, Skadden has a, a very generous maternity leave policy. So I think I was able to get you know, 16 or 18 or, or some odd weeks off. So my son was... Maybe actually I even tacked on some vacation there. And one thing that I had talked to folks or to women that had had children before had come back to the farm. So I talked to them about what their return from leave was like. And one of the things that was suggested to me was to do a staggered return. So I thought this was, in hindsight, it was such a fantastic idea. I'm so glad I did it. But what I did was I took my maternity leave and then I used some of the vacation that I had to stagger a return. So my first week back, I think I came for two days a week. I want to say I may have done Tuesday and Thursday. And then my second week back, I did Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Third week or fourth week back, I may have done you know Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. And then I would planned on coming back the full five days. What I realized was my husband at that time was in the middle of his residency and his hours were awful. I mean, it was at the point where he was you know, getting home, like leaving at 6 a.m., getting home at 10, on call every three days. It was really, really difficult. And so I was finding that I was having to be the flexible parent, which, you know, being a firm associate is, is also difficult. So I went to talk to the partner who was in charge of our developments. And I, I told him, I was like, I love being at the firm. I need to figure out how to make this work. And I think the support that I had, I wanted to talk to him about going to 80% and trying to figure out some sort of reduced schedule. And for me, what he said was, figure out what is best for your family and whatever that is, we will make that work. And hearing that was just so 
comforting and so rewarding and so fantastic because I knew that at that point, I had a little bit of flexibility to try to figure out what would work for my family and what would work for my schedule and for my sanity for that matter, you know, just coming back from my first and the firm was there for me and they were supporting me and behind me. And that was so nice. And so I think what I ended up doing was doing 80%. I was typically not in the office on Fridays. That was my day at at home. But what I, I usually did was just kind of balance my hours throughout the week so that if I needed to leave early, I would try to finish things up on Friday, whatever I, I needed to do. But I was, was able to go to 80%. And that to me was just so tremendously helpful and made it so much easier to come back because I, I knew not only could I do that, but I had the support of leadership at the firm and within my department to do that. And that was just so, so helpful. I'm trying to think of a support that I thought would have been helpful that wasn't. I'm not sure anything is particularly coming to mind because I I seem to recall in those days, I was was happy to take whatever support I had. (laughs) You know, it was one of those things where, you know, I hadn't really maybe thought that I would take advantage of some of the policies that the firm offered before I had a kid. But I was so glad that those policies were in place. And it's kind of one of those things where you look back in hindsight and you're like, oh, well, that's why they have that. They know what they're doing. That makes complete sense. (laughs) So I don't know that there is anything that I would have thought was not helpful or not necessary. I think having, raising awareness and having discussions about that when people, you know, before they're leaving and after, or the extent that it's possible, even during, which I think Mindful Return does really well, having opportunities to have those discussions within your firm with people who have either lived through what you've lived through or going through what you're going through, Providing those opportunities and providing those forms, I think, is, is so great. So Scadden was recently, actually not recently, but for a while, they've had a fathers and mothers group, and it's, it's called Scadden Fam, and it's, I've been a part of that now for a number of years. And it's really great because we'll put on various programming that might be relevant to having children for both mothers and fathers. We'll set up you know, just basic networking events where we'll have coffee or something and you can just meet with other parents and the every you know, people who are parents are everyone who's a parent is invited to come whoever can come you can just grab coffee we've set up kind of a parenting mentor service which i think is, is really great it's not you're not paired with a mentor because I, I think that can you know Sometimes that works, sometimes it doesn't. But it's basically the the firm has essentially a list of parents that have volunteered to provide support or answer questions, whatever it might be, to others that are either thinking of having children or have just had children or figuring out how to come back to work or just now back at work and trying to figure out how to manage and handle both. Or, you know, as your kids get older and you come up with different challenges, like you said, you know, maybe not no longer the, they're not sleeping through the night, but now they want cell phones and you don't know how to handle that situation. And so, you know, I think that is to me, I thought that was a really fantastic idea to just make sure that parents that are, you know, either people that are thinking of, of having children and parents that are getting ready to come back to work or have just come back to work, know that they have a support system in place and know that they're not going through this alone. Because that's one of the things that I, I was like, I can't have been the only person to, to deal with this. And then talking to folks that are like, no, absolutely, you're not. Let us figure out how to get this right for you and make it work for you. Because your number one priority is your health and your family and your work and making sure you're able to do everything that you want to do. So that was really great. Fantastic. Thanks, Anjali. Yeah, I will say, you know, having management support is so vitally important. And, you know, when I was in the U.S. Attorney's Office, I was in a particularly difficult trial rotation. 
and we had our second child. And, you know, what I, nobody told me was that, you know, having your second child is not any easier than having your first. And it was just, they weren't sleeping. And it was just, yeah, I was burning the candle both ends, was just exhausted and went to my manager at the time, the section chief, and they did not hesitate to move me to a different section in the office in a pellet where, you know, the demands were much more uh, nine to five. That was just so key you know, more important than having a nap room, although nap room would have been nice, was to have that kind of support. So I'm glad to hear that you had that. And I'm hoping that's becoming more of the norm, you know, rather than outlier. All right, Katie, turning to you, same set of questions. You know, returning to work, what did you find particularly helpful? Were there any things that they did provide that turned out not to be important that you thought would be? And, you know, for new folks coming back to new parents coming back today, are there things that you think we could do a better job of to help them integrate yeah, back? I, so I had my older child a few weeks after taking the bar exam, and I ended up taking almost a year off before I started my clerkship. So when I sort of entered into the legal career, I already had a child. And so I didn't have the opportunity that Anshley had to sort of spend six years building up the goodwill in, in my own, you know, credibility in the workplace. I had to start from day one as a mom in the legal industry. And there are some difficult things about that, but I also think there are some benefits. So when I showed up on day one, I was clerking for a federal appellate judge and I was also living separately from my husband. So I was in a different city with my child. And on day one, the, my co-clerks and I were sort of chatting and around and it was five o'clock and I said I have to go pick up my kid and you know my judge looked at me and he said okay and so from day one I had set a clear boundary you know that at five o'clock I have to leave for childcare reasons and he completely respected that and so I think that that was not so much a policy in place. I don't know, you know, how many mothers have preferred my judge before me, but, you know, he's a, a really kind, empathetic man with a lot of perspective and children himself, and so he completely got it. You know, it's funny because my first few jobs in the legal industry were all in government, which just sort of famously doesn't have any policies. <laughs> so I didn't have a maternity leave with my second child. You know, that's something that, obviously I think should change, but there were workarounds. And again, I had a very empathetic boss who was very understanding when I went in to tell her that I was pregnant and she did not have children of her own, but she said, that is fantastic news. Take as long as you'd like, we will sort, you know, we'll sort it out. So I guess, you know, coming from the government perspective where there really aren't, you know, we don't have no one pays for your milk delivery. No one, you know, there's no maternity leave. There's no sort of formal ramp up policies. The things that were most important for me were just having empathetic managers and colleagues. And I think that that's something, you know, I think sometimes you can get a little bit fixated on the policies instead of the perspectives of folks in management. And to me, I think that that's much more important than anything written on a piece of paper about what your workplace can provide you. Things that I thought would be important to me, I guess it's not really a policy, but I thought that it would be really important for me to have very predictable nine to five hours. And I had that to a certain degree in some of the jobs that I had previously. My current job, it's a little less predictable, but again, it hasn't been the issue that I had in my head thought that it would be. 
generally speaking, you know, when the work permits, I leave at 4.30 on the dot, and that's sort of the understanding that my office has, and we respect that. And when, when the work really necessitates staying a little bit later, I do that too. And so, you know, I think it all just sort of depends on you and your childcare situation and what you need. But for me, that was something that I had thought was really, really important in any job that I had that has turned out to be less of an issue for me than I thought. Oh, that's fascinating. So, you know, we kind of think about, as we talked earlier, you know, what we tell a 21-year-old Katie, you know, some of the things that, I mean, if you hear Anjali's experience in private sector, in many ways, what she describes is a lot more supportive than what folks, at least in some government offices, get. So I think it's um, a really valuable perspective that sometimes the things that you think are going to be important and what you're scared of turn out to be exactly topsy-turvy. Yeah, really, I think, like I said, it really depends on the people that you're working with and working for. And, you know, you can have all the policies in the world, but if no one really believes in them or or has an appreciation for why those policies exist, it's just not really going to matter. Yeah, exactly. There's no point in having a nap room if your manager won't let you take a nap. All right. Thanks, Katie. I'm, I'm going to hand it back over to you, Lori. Thanks, Tom. So, I just want to mention one thing that Angeli said earlier about having a Skadden fathers and mothers group. I've definitely benefited a great deal in my prior and current jobs from having a supportive network of working parents at my office. And I just wanted to mention that I recently started a Google group email list of leaders of parent resource groups at employer offices and whatever, um, so that we can all collaborate with one another and talk about programming and engagement and that sort of thing. So if you have any interest in joining this Google group, because you're a leader of one of your companies or your firm or your employer's working parent groups, feel free to reach out to me. But in terms of our next question, Katie, I wanted to stick with you. The, the question I have is, you know, what changes are happening in the legal industry that are affecting working parents? And I know earlier you said we've been waiting for the death of the billable hour forever, and it simply isn't coming. Are there changes that you think are happening in law that are affecting the lives of parents who are lawyers? I think that the more women and parents that are rising in the ranks is going to be helpful. I mean, in some respects, I think this has there's sort of a, a broader attitudinal shift happening where for a long time, and it still persists, it's just this sort of obsession with work. And I think that that doesn't help non-parents either. I mean, you know, just sort of broadening our perspective about what a good life entails and an appreciation that folks want to do things outside the office. And even if they don't have children, they might want to travel or they have, you know, to take care of parents. So I think that there is becoming more of an appreciation. I think we have to, in some ways, detach the entire conversation from just looking at parents because it risks alienating a whole group of people who also can benefit from just a broader attitude about work and life. We can really be our allies in this. So, yeah, so I think, you know, more women and more parents rising up in the ranks is going to be helpful. I also think that there are a lot of different sort of types of workplaces. So I work for a very small firm in D.C. that has an office in Chicago. I know that there is a law firm in the D.C. area that's comprised of all working moms. 
And I think those are really attractive for people. And I think it's just sort of presenting an alternative type of workplace. And they seem like they're really working. And so maybe sort of, again, just sort of in terms of the broadening of our perspectives of what being a lawyer has to look like, what a law firm has to look like. I think all of those things will be helpful for parents. Thanks, Katie. Yeah, that definitely resonates. And I love your focus on maybe perspectives on work generally and wellness more broadly and how there's an increased focus on EQ and being emotionally stable in your job, which benefits everyone, including parents. Great points. Anjali, turning over to you, are there any changes that you see happening in the legal industry that you think are having a particular effect on working parents? I think kind of similarly, there just seems to me to be this increased awareness of the importance of work-life balance and recognizing that people need support, mothers and fathers need support and benefit from support. And I think it just seems to me that people, maybe they knew it before, but I think every year I see kind of more and more support, not to say that it's easier completely, you know, we're, we're, we're not quite there yet, I don't think, in all respects, but I do seem to sense this kind of heightened awareness. And to Tom's point earlier, I sense that people are less afraid to talk about it or ask about it and are, you know, and, and are less afraid to make it known that that's an important point for them or important value for them. I don't know that that's specific to the legal industry, but it's certainly from my experience, I've seen that here. Great. Thanks, Anjali. Tom, turning it back to you to ask our uh, final question for our panelists today. All right. Very good. Just as my want, I'm going to make this a three-parter and throw some curveballs since we haven't talked about some of this. But I'm just, so the question is this, and we'll start with you, Katie. What is your number one best piece of advice for navigating life as a working parent? And I will give you the option, if you have one, of including in this, what's your number one book on for working parents and what's your number one piece of technology for working parents? If you don't have one of those, that's fine, but um, I know folks often have an interest in those. Sure. So... My number one best piece of advice is to not be afraid to advocate for yourself and don't be afraid to walk away. There's just no substitute for you being able to take it upon yourself to have uncomfortable conversations, to set really clear boundaries. It's really difficult as a woman to do that. It's even more difficult to do that as a woman of color. And I applaud all of those folks who've been able to do that because I think that that is sort of the common thread you see with moms who are able to make this work. It's kind of a, it can be a tough industry. And I think, you know, being your own best advocate is really important. Best book. I really enjoyed All Joy and No Fun. It's not really geared towards working parents necessarily, but it's a lot of anecdotes about hood and sort of expectations and versus reality. And I thought that that was really helpful for me and in getting just perspective that everyone sort of feels like they're in the same boat as me. I tell my husband all the time, I feel like we're flailing. And it's nice to know that other people sometimes feel that way too. Number one best piece of technology. I don't know that I have one. I'm sort of, I'm not very tech savvy. <laughs> That's fine. I'll join the fun. I, I love that book. It really is. We can put it in the a link to the show notes, but I read that book and had much the same reaction of, and it's, you know, and it's not, as you say, it's not an advice book. 
it's more of a you know the cultural the modern cultural phenomenon of having children and working and I too read it and had a feeling like okay it's not just me <laughs> that's experiencing this this is a a sociological phenomenon that folks are folks are having so I also highly recommend that one. All right, thanks so much, Katie. Anjali, same questions for you. Sure. So I think one and three maybe go kind of hand in hand, but I completely agree with everything Katie said. I think being an advocate for yourself and not being afraid to ask those hard questions and make known what you need to make this work for you is, is extremely important. I think you know, kind of maybe taking a, a different approach, the number one tip that I have is to make sure that you communicate with whoever is relevant or important, whether it's your partner, obviously your children, whoever you're working with. I think it's really important to just, you know, if you've got certain commitments, if you've got certain deadlines, whatever it is, just kind of making sure that everybody is in the know on what's going on. And so everybody's managing and working from the same expectations. Kind of hand in hand with that, the number one piece of technology that I would have, and I wish I had done this earlier because I think it would have saved me so much headache, but it's so simple, but just even a family calendar I found is just so helpful. So what we've done is you have got my work calendar, but we also, we just set up a, I think a Google calendar or something. My husband set it up, but we basically put all of the kids activities and appointments and all of that stuff on that calendar so that it shows up on my phone. So I know what's going on. And you know, a lot of the stuff I don't end up having to deal with, like I may not be having to take my one-year-old to his music class, but it's so, it's just nice that everything is in one place. We kind of know where everything is. We've got, you know, if we've got, for example, this past weekend, we had an Easter egg hunt. I put that on the calendar because I found that there's only so much capacity my brain has to remember stuff. And at some point it just started forgetting this type of stuff. And so a calendar to us is, is key. It doesn't have to be a fancy one, just something that you and whoever needs to access it can also access. And then the this is a, I don't know that I would call it really a, an advice book, but it's a book I found, I heard about, I just got it on Amazon, but it's um, it's called How to Talk So Kids Will Listen and Listen So Kids Will Talk. And it's really just a book about basic kind of tips on how to be an effective and efficient communicator. And what I liked most about that book is obviously there's cater towards kids and parenthood and talking to children. But I think there are aspects of that book that really seem to translate well across all ages of kids. So there's things in that book that I, I found very useful for talking to my four-year-old. And, and I could imagine them being useful for a 14-year-old. But it, I also thought it was just useful, practical tips for even communicating professionally. And I think there are a lot of times where people are just so ready to talk and make their views known that you, and especially in the client service business, like the legal profession, you have to take a step back and, and learn how to listen. And I think it's, it's so important to develop those listening skills. And I thought this book was just a really useful tool. Well, that's fantastic. Well, we have reached the end of our list of questions. Lori, was there anything else you want to follow up with? No, I'm just really delighted at how robust this conversation was and loved getting your perspectives Angeli and Katie. So thank you for spending time with us today. Absolutely. I will echo those sentiments. I thought it was a great program. It's a lot of value for folks. And uh, Anjali and Katie, I very much appreciate your stories and your insight. Well, we will call it a day for today and thank everyone. And we will um, sign off until next time.
Yeah. Tom, I just want to say uh, to everyone, stay tuned for more conversations, one with dads who are lawyers coming soon. And also next month, we'll be talking to parents in HR field, HR professionals who are moms and dads. And I'curious to hear their perspectives and whether there are things we can learn across and between different industries. Absolutely. Great point. Well, until next time. Thanks for joining us for another episode of the Parents at Work podcast. Are you interested in learning more about our show, our hosts, or today's guest? Do you have a comment or question you'd like to share with the Parents at Work community? Then contact us at www.spigglelaw.com slash podcast. We'll see you next time.